You are listening to a podcast of The View, where we discuss today's topics from an anti-racist, anti-oppressive, multicultural perspective. This podcast is brought to you by the Church of the Larger Fellowship. To subscribe, visit questformeaning.org or search for Church of the Larger Fellowship in the iTunes store. So <clears throat> I hear it's going to be sunny later today or tomorrow. So uh, yay. Uh, I hope so. I'm now skeptical. Michael Tino, where are you? How are you? <laughs> Good morning, everyone. This is Michael Tino in Peekskill, New York. Um, it's actually gray here today, um, but that's just fine because we've actually seen the sun off and on. And um, yeah. It, it matches the mood of the nation, this gray, gray, cloudy sky. Um, and on that lovely note, Christina Rivera, how are you? <laughs> I feel the same, Michael. It's gray here. Hi, everyone. I'm Christina Rivera. I'm coming to you from Charlottesville, Virginia, where it is gray, rainy. Uh, we actually have a flood alert because, I guess, just rain. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just... Yeah, it's going to be raining all next week as well. And uh, for the first time in view, um, my time on the view, you all are going to actually see how short I am because I'm usually, you know, a full figure in your stream. You have no idea that I am this short. Uh, but today uh, you'll get to meet my sons and you will see, you've already seen uh, just truly how uh, little you know, you could have sat on a phone book or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's about what I would have taken. You know, one of those little, I could borrow one of those things from like a restaurant and sit it here and put my butt in it. <laughs> right, here we go. I'll just do like this the entire show. Antonia, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm in New Jersey today. It is also gray and rainy. Um, Things are okay. I'm back from Meatville. I missed you all in View World. I'll be the one over on the chat, getting your questions to the guest and host. Ask many and plentiful and interesting questions because we have the benefit of having our you or are they young adults? I'm gonna find out here on The View today. <laughs> Yes, we do have you, you, youth in the house. Woo Yay! We're so excited. Um, so I'm going to let them introduce themselves. I'm going to start off, um, let's say, I guess, in the, uh, I don't know, chronological, alphabetical order, alphabetical order. There we go. I'm Andreas Rivera Young. I see them pronouns. I'm also in Charlottesville. And um, I'm also the senior dean for um, GA Youth. Uh, at General Assembly, so. Chronologically, it goes Molly next. Oh, what? Yeah, no, 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 no. Oh. Alphabet, M-A. Oh, oh, oh there we go. We're good. Okay, Molly, it's all you. Um, hi, I'm Molly Gottfried. I use she, her pronouns. I'm from Corvallis, Oregon, um, and I am one of the chairs for the Pacific Northwest District's Youth Board, and I have staffed several uh, of our biannual youth conferences, and I'm getting involved nationally as well. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Miguel Rivera Young, and I also use he, him pronouns, and I am a lifelong UU. 
been raised that way. And uh, I was active nationally uh, with the Right Relationship Team and also staff uh, the Youth Ministry Revival, some other things like that. Yeah. So to hit the inevitable question, yes, they are twins. Yes. Yeah, they, these two. Yeah, absolutely. Get it so, a lot. Yeah, get a lot. We'll just get that right out of the way. So um, we are excited to have you, you youth, on The View. <laughs> Since I've been on The View, which I think this is like a year or two, I've been trying to find a time when um, youth could be on The View. It's really hard because it's 11 a.m. Eastern when we're usually in school, 8 a.m. Uh, where Molly is, so she's trying to get into school. So it's taken me this long to finally get them to be seniors where they can take some time <laughs> off of school and be able to be here. So we're thrilled and hopefully um, we'll be able to work this out. So more youth can be on the video soon. Um, so I'm just gonna start it off with, um, Molly, I'm actually gonna start off with you is like, what drew you to um, being in youth leadership? So I attended my first uh, UU Youth Con um, the spring of my freshman year, and I'm a junior, so that was like a little less than two years ago. And just like being, I've, I've been a UU my whole life, and I was always kind of like, yeah, like it's great, but I never felt really connected to it. And I, I went to that con, and I was surrounded by like 125 other UU youth who were passionate about the same things as me and it was incredible and I would just look around and just realize that everyone was a UU um, and it was the most like inclusive and just the most amazing space that I've ever been in and immediately after I went home I applied to be on the uh, youth board and I applied to be on staff for the next con um, and I just kind of like threw myself into it after that and since then, I've I've just kept getting involved, and I've stayed involved, and I love all of it. And yeah. Um, same question. Sure. Same question. <laughs> I you know it was always kind of odd for me because we we attend a really kind of small congregation, and and our youth group has always been small, and so I have really fond childhood memories of kind of you know playing around in the yard outside of church, you know, kicking around the soccer ball with my brother and like all the adults like talking to me, but I never really saw youth opportunities. And then our mother shipped us away to uh, thrive. And <laughs> we were a little bit reluctant to go, like, I'll be honest at first. And that was really life-changing, not only to see other UU youth, but uh, UU youth of color. And the space like that was really powerful. And it kept me connected to people because we knew that we were going to be in this together and we're still in this together. And then right after that, she shipped us off again to Goldmine. And that was also a really fun experience. <laughs> yeah, um, I kind of tried to do the latter. So I did like drive Goldmine as well and then applied to be on youth staff because I thought that um, I could probably bring some of my experience to more youth um, at General Assembly. And I'd been to other General Assemblies before, so I kind of knew what it was about. And um, so Thrive is a leadership school for um, youth of color. 
and Goldmine is just a, a leadership school open to anybody. And so we went to both and I took the skills that I learned there and applied them to youth staff once I applied um, my first time. So what I would say is kind of important about what Andres and Miguel just shared as a parent is that um, Miguel's not wrong when, when he says I ship them off. Um, you know, I think that so often I hear parents saying that they that their kids, even young kids or maybe you know, middle school age, oh, you know, they don't really necessarily want to go to RE or, um, you know, that that this is something that's optional. Um, and I don't, I don't really relate to that culturally because um, church culturally for us <laughs> isn't optional. You know, it's not something that, that, that children really have um, that much say in, you know, especially when they're younger and in, in, in middle school. Um, and I'm always a little bit surprised culturally when I hear that that's an option for our, our children in religious education. I think that there should be options for them in religious education and what they do in there and how they go about their lives. Um, but I think that if we're taking seriously our responsibility as parents of being the primary religious educator in our children's lives, um, then we need to do that. And so that includes, you know, seeing what opportunities are out there for our youth and getting them there. And, you know, I applied for all sorts of scholarships and financial aid to be able to get them to all of these wonderful opportunities that they talk about. Um, and, you know, the UUA came through with a lot of that. Um, but I think that, that there has to be some, some ownership on parents um, as primary religious educators. Um, you know, often Asia and I are in religious education spaces, and Asia, maybe you can speak to this, that, you know, sees us as the primary religious educator. And we only have kids for an hour and a half once a week if we're lucky. Yeah, I think, um... Yeah, it always cracks me up when parents are like, my five-year-old doesn't want to go. I'm like, how is your five-year-old ruling your life? But that's clearly culturally different. Um, and yes, parents are the primary religious educators. And at some point, I do want to ask the three of you to reflect on um, what it's like for you in your brick and mortar congregations. Because one of the tensions that I um, experience as a religious educator is I I love that that youth, especially youth of color who've gone to cons. I will say my son had a terrible experience at con and now goes to a Presbyterian church, but that's a whole nother show. Um, for the youth for whom it works for, like the three of you, um, what I found at, at the congregation where I am now, the youth get so involved with the regional district cons that it, they actually, I think something gets lost in the youth group where they are. And that's been a tension that I, I haven't been, because I don't want youth not to be excited about Khan, but then for the youth for whom Khan doesn't work, whether it's because they're introverted or you know, they just can't go or, or they don't want to go, that doesn't feed them in the same way. One of the things I've tried to inspire or even talk directly with youth that I've had that have been um, rock stars in the region or district to say, and we need you here. We need you to be a leader every week 
you know, or as often as you can come. So I'd love for the three of you to speak to, to that tension that I've noticed. Anybody? Um, yeah, for, for me, I definitely, there is a big divide between the culture at con and the culture in my church. But I also do think that in Corvallis, we have a really strong youth group. Um, not necessarily, we have a lot of people, but the people who do show up are there fully and they're there because they want to be. And not everyone has been to con. Um, but that is something that I've been struggling with is how to how to be a leader and also how to not be a leader in my congregation because I kind of want that space to be somewhere where I can like get fed and I don't have to put in all of my energy into that as well. And it's hard to get that without. Like get what I want without person who leads it and that's been difficult for me to be the only youth leader in my church I don't that like stuff that I need outside of cons um go to church and I'm like eh. like I don't I don't love going to my youth groups all the time because I don't get a lot out of it um which is really sad and I'm really glad that I have a big support system and network of you use in my district and around the country because I know that a lot of people don't get that. And I think that that is the reason why I've been so connected to this faith. And it's nothing against my home congregation, but the reason why I'm connected is because of the other experiences that I've had. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like wanna sit here and like trash my home congregation or anything, but I mean, like we've rescheduled our youth group like three times this month we haven't met this month or last month maybe i don't really know but it's just because we're so small that if one or two people can't go there's really no point in having it because it's just going to be us there just kind of you know shooting the breeze with our re director so you know it's it's difficult because i i enjoy my congregation and i try to step up when i can and have the adults in the congregation see the youth have this power to lead and that when we do we should be listened to but I, I also find myself frustrated when my youth group is doesn't have the resources or like honestly sometimes the commitment to want to make that happen it's hard for us too because um where we're located there isn't that big a con culture like there is on on most of the west coast so we don't get like that necessary like UU youth contact that you might get from con um, we don't get that very often so youth group uh, we have to be leaders there too um, it's just kind of like a necessity type of thing but um, it's kind of hard when that's like your only UU youth experience like face to face um before like with like months on end and in, in between yeah i'd say that's real for um for particularly for you know as andres mentioned in the southern region they're just um 
for a lot of different reasons, uh, the con culture is really dropped off or is non-existent now. Um, and so for a lot of things I've had to take Andres and Miguel um, to Central East region. Um, you know, the youth ministry revival that Miguel mentioned was um, primarily Central East region uh, focused. And um, it's just been really, really hard to get resources um, to be able to do any kind of, um, not even con, but just gatherings of youth um, in the Southern region, um, you know, for a while. So you're, you're kind of getting to, to what I've been wondering about. You know, I was the youth director back in the early 90s, 89 to 92, when there was a national, uh, continental YRUU, and a newspaper that was by and for youth, and uh, young adults working at the UUA, and um, and I liked it, <laughs> and um, and I and then it was YRU was disbanded, and as we've talked about here, I think we all share frustration about that that it was disbanded without something else evolving because things change, but. I don't really even understand the lay of the land anymore. So is it, it like Goldmine is a regional thing from the West, right? Or is that is that for the whole, all you use? And, and what are the opportunities for youth who want to be in leadership besides general assembly? There's no youth council anymore. There's no, I mean, so I, I just kind of would love the basics of what's going on. I feel pretty out of it actually. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I think we're coming up on this next, the, the generation that Andres and Miguel and Molly, and Molly, you know, shout out to your sister, um, Carrie, who's also another, now a young adult, um, you know, just bridged uh, UU youth leader. Um, we are now coming up on the first generation of UU young adults who never had, who don't even know what YRUU is in the, the context of national. They may have had YRU in their home congregation because it's still what it's called there, but they have no understanding of YRUU or um, what was it before? Anyways. Um, Hello, so, yeah. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see the difference in leadership, um, you know, and what that means to our faith. Um, we have so many leaders right now, you know, Susan Frederick Gray and Karen McDonald and, and people who came up through YRUU. Um, and, you know, I think it, it's going to be, you know, the contrast is there's going to have to be, you know, analysis over that. Um, and to answer your question, so no, there is no national, um, you know, organization of youth. Um, their gold mine is a, um, is a program that's available, you know, regionally. Um, so it's not just West, it's available, you know, in any region that wants to run it, that has, um, that has folks who are trained in it, um, which, you know, if you're not running it, then of course you don't have folks that are trained in it. Um, there's a new program that um, Shannon Harper uh, piloted last summer, uh, River Rising, uh, which I think is the new-ish um, uh, gold mine. 
Southern region, uh, yes, uh, Patrick Crow mentioned that the Southern region has Ships Ahoy program for youth leadership training. That is a uh, model of they meet once at the beginning of the program, church year once at the end, and the rest of the meetings are virtual. Um, and so, and then as Carrie- Is it Ships Ahoy because of Blue Boat Home? I'm trying to get the, the ship <laughs> out of in Southern region. <laughs> what that is. I know it's a little rough. Um, it's ships, what I finally figured out, because I had that same question, what I finally figured out is the program is, um, is based on discipleship, um, relationship. Uh, there's like five ships, like five things that they're with that have the ship has is at the end, and that's how they got the ships. Like built, like ships in common vernacular is about relationship, right? And so ships away. Um, but yeah, you know, some areas have really strong con culture, like Molly's talking about, and some areas have nothing. And so, you know, I think, you know, yeah, we're we're just gonna we're we're gonna be seeing the, a really big difference in, in what that leadership looks like. And I don't know. I mean, I think that's one of the, the unknowns. And one of the disappointments in having um so many in the uh, I think we have jagged rocks or five rocks in the West Coast and there's ships in the South. It's not I mean, it's funny and it's not funny because it's like this coded like what does it mean and wouldn't it be great if we if we had a national if we all were on the same page with how we affirmed youth ministry that wasn't these I know they're not meant to be gimmicky. I'm using that word not to be disrespectful, but to say um, I had no idea what Ships Ahoy meant either. I was like, hmm? but when you explained it, sure, it makes sense. However, wouldn't it be great if we were, and that's where the loss of having a national uh, cohesive youth movement, youth, um, something that, that really connects everyone, because youth cons are a mixed bag. They, they, they're wonderful when they're wonderful. It's like our congregations. And, and the th one of the things I lament is how our congregations um, don't center youth ministry in the way that would be just healthier for our movement, center children, center youth, um, and, and integrate youth ministry in a substantive way. It feels like it's always um, either an add-on or one of the things I did when I first came to Easter, I said, don't ask the youth, don't, youth inclusion is not asking them to do things. That's not including youth. That's a transactional relationship. And sure, you could pay youth to do whatever you want. You can ask them with their consent, but that's not a including youth. So let's be clear, if you're going to include youth, you're asking them to be a substantive part of this congregation, not simply asking them to do anything. So we have a number of uh, folks online who are engaging in conversation now. AJ Van Tyne says, I'm a minister and 27, and I barely have a sense of national YRUU. It was disbanded at the same time. I joined con leadership in 10th grade. Janine Gelsinger writes, we talk a lot about what successful bridging of youth looks like, um, what young adult involvement looks like in congregations. And Charles Dumond asks a question of our panelists. So I wanna pass along this question and give the three of you a chance to reflect on this. Charles wonders, uh, Charles says, I would be interested if the guests could reflect on experiences they have with conflict between adult facilitators and youth leadership about the amount of empowerment that is granted to the youth. 
So I'm wondering, Molly, uh, Miguel, Andreas, do you have um, experiences with that? Is that has that been a conflict in your uh, experience? And and if so, how has that played out? Yeah. So um, at the youth ministry revival, there was a lot of conflict around um, people feeling like the adults were doing like the majority, the lion's share of the of the planning and stuff. And it was interesting because it wasn't actually the youth leaders who thought that that was the case. It was like the people who were um, like somewhat facilitators, but also some people who were just at the youth ministry revival. And I felt like it was like a really good partnership um, with Shannon, um, Carrie, uh, me, and um, a couple other people. So it was interesting to see people want youth to have um, like sole power when sometimes that's not the best way to do things. And and this is like this is why I think that having adults who will support you and let you do your own work but have your back in that is so important. Like I remember Andreas asked our art director, he's like, well, I want to do a sermon. So like, like, how do we make that happen? And she was there for him like every step of the way, but she let him do it. Like she said yes and gave him like the ability to, to you know, share his experience to a wider congregation. And it's just like what, what it looks like when youth are allowed to step up and we have that power, but also that we have adults that are backing us in a way that's not like, you know, super overbearing. Yes, definitely. Yes to all of that. Um, for me personally, I think that in con settings and in the leadership positions that I've held in my district, I've had a really good network of adult support. Um, and we have, I think we have a really good system set up in the Pacific Northwest right now um, regarding youth and adult leadership. And I think that I personally have experienced a really good balance of that. Um, and I felt supported and heard and I felt like I haven't been treated like, oh, like she's just a youth, like she'll need help with like all of this stuff. But like the trust in that if I need help, I will reach out instead of assuming that I need help with everything or I don't have time for anything. Um, and then there's the other side of that, which is like totally hands off and not not giving that support and not feeling like I have anyone to reach out to for help. Um, and there's a very like precise balance that is really difficult to reach. Um, and I think that the experiences that I've had have been pretty good in my congregation though. The one, the one thing that I think is one of the biggest difficulties being a youth, um, like in a congregation is that sometimes adults don't really know how to interact with us. Um, and I feel like sometimes the only questions I get are like, oh, 
uh, like, where do you want to go to college or like, what grade are you in and everything like relating to school and not actually stuff that I'm passionate about or interested in. Um, and then also, so my sister Carrie uh, just went off to college and she is very outgoing and has a very large presence in UUism. And she, like everyone at the beginning of the year would just come up and ask me like, oh, how's Carrie doing? And the focus that adults have are a lot different than what I want to focus on. And it's a lot of not really knowing quite like what question what questions to ask or what things to talk about with the youth um and there's a, and that creates like a weird divide and also i feel like i don't i'm not super connected to the adults in my in my home congregation which is unfortunate but what do you wish they would ask you molly i wish that they would ask me about like my leadership work in uuism and um, other things that I'm involved in. I'm really passionate about environmental justice and I do a lot of things within that and people know about it, um, but it just seems like it's not really something, like they don't ask like things that I'm passionate about. And even if they don't know like what people are passionate about, like asking youth what they're passionate about and what they're interested in and what they like doing for fun outside of school um, and letting them lead that conversation more is important. Amen. <laughs> um, Janine Gelsinger said, um, oh, I'd have to scroll. Hold on, because it's a good one. Uh, oh, we talk a lot about what successful bridging of youth looks like, what young adult involvement looks like in congregations. Um, I'd love to hear from Molly, Andreas, and Miguel. In the perfect scenario, although we're not going for perfection, right, Janine? Um, in a great scenario, what would congregations be doing to have you transition into young adult leadership? Um, I think it's difficult because a lot of times when you're becoming a young adult, you're not around your um, home congregation. So I know for me, um, like after I bridge from Waynesboro, it's probably gonna be a while before I go back there. Um, and when I do, it'll probably just be when I'm home on breaks. So it's really hard for them to like, give me the transition into young adult leadership when I'll only be back for a um, couple weeks a year. But I think um, what I've heard is that the uh, campus ministry at Brown is actually pretty good. So uh, I actually went to Goldmine with the sister of the lead of the Brown campus group. So um, I'm excited for that. Um, yeah, it is difficult because most of us will move away from our home congregations after we bridge and after we graduate high school. And um, I think just creating a space for young adults. Um, I know at my church, we have like once a month, they like get together for pizza and they talk about like UU related things and just like what's going on in their life and just having a space for young adults. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to look a certain way, but holding 
like that transition space between being a youth and being an adult and also making sure that you're not treating them like they're four years old, um, especially when you've seen these youth like grow up in your congregation and just acknowledging that they're in a different place in their life um, and holding that space for them. So there's a great question. I think I'm, Miguel wants to answer from uh, online from AJ Ventine saying, my question for raised you, you, youth leaders is this, what is, this a, what is it about our religion that you love most that is why you identify as you, you? Is it the principle, the religious pluralism, the social justice, what is it? I said it was a good question. I didn't say I was going to answer it. <laughs> oh, okay. But um, I would say I, I enjoy a certain amount of religious pluralism. Like, Andres and I often say, like, we're big Jesus guys. Like, you know, he's kind of a great guy. Uh, and so I, I enjoy being able to, to embrace that and embrace something that's special in my culture. Like, being able to have that connection while also feeling like I have a spiritual community that I can call my own and, and I can make my own. And I think in its best moments, what I see in the potential of what Unitarian Universalism can see, like in what it can be, I think that's what brings me back time and time again. Um, the reason I'm dressed up actually is because I have a, I'm doing my capstone thesis on Unitarianism. And um, I have a presentation in an hour, basically, um, about it. So I went back and looked at like uh, roots of Unitarianism. And I think that from the very, well, not from the very start, but once you start to get into when people are um, both social, socially liberal and religiously liberal, I think that's when a lot of like the social justice aspect comes in. and. I know for a fact that if social justice was not like such a like such a focal point for Unitarian Universalism, that I probably would not be in the faith anymore. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's like a specific thing like the principles or the sources or any of that. Um, but I think it's the like all of that combined and the potential that it has and the way that this faith has served me personally. Um, like that first experience that I had at Con, and just the community that I felt there has been what keeps me coming back and it's what has made me so involved. Um, and it's the people that I've met through it and the relationships that I've built with both youth and adults and young adults. Um, and also, in some ways, um, as a youth of color, well, yeah, being in this faith can be really difficult and draining. And um, also, it, I think, being a youth of color, my first experience, like, actually addressing that part of my identity was in a UU space. Um, and it was at my first caucusing, um, like the first caucusing experience that I had was at that first con. And it was my first time being surrounded by people who like shared the same experiences as me and who were like not afraid to talk about those openly. 
Um, and that was really powerful. And I, I've never had a space to, um, I've never had a space to, to hold that identity. And even though there were like maybe 10 out of 130 of us um, and we could fit in like the smallest room um, of the camp, it was really powerful. And I had never embraced that part of me. And I think UUism has really helped me appreciate and love that, that identity that I hold. Kiana Perkins, um, who's one of our top fans, uh, writes, first we need to own that we need, we'll need young adult leadership. Amen to that. Our spaces can't thrive as we only have disconnected youth leadership and old, we have youth leadership and older adult leadership and we need to cultivate the middle. And then Kiana goes on to say, we need to answer the big question. And maybe the three of you can answer this or maybe all of us, uh, what we think, what are we bridging our youth to? Are we really preparing them for what is next? Uh, next being an open expanse. It does feel a little bit when we bridge youth for me, like we're just, bye, have a good life. We hope to maybe see you in 20 years when you have your own children, but what are your impressions about that? Well, and maybe the question for our panelists is what would you like for there to be on the other side of the bridge? Like when you bridge into young adulthood, what would you actually like for there to be? Um. I know the UA has like tried a lot of things, um, different things to try and make it work. And I know it's hard because like, um, if you're close with your youth group, you're, you might all be going separate ways, whether that's college or something else. And um, it's, it's tough because there's like that distance between you. But I think if there was a young adult space already ready for you to go into, uh, that would definitely be really nice. I don't know how you do that necessarily, but that's not really my job to figure out. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's hard to like sit here and like kind of look over the bridge and see see what's beyond that. Um, but I yeah, I think that if there's a more defined space, because like we're talking about what happens when you bridge into this great expanse, and it's like, well, what if what if there was something for me there on the other side of the the bridge where it's not like we're just waving goodbye to our youth and we just kind of assume that they aren't going to be active in college and their religion and they're just going to come back when they're like settled down you know I, I think that that's it's damaging to our faith in a lot of ways i agree one of the um the things I want to highlight, I think, is something that Molly said, is that um, a lot of times our youth of color um, are encouraged to go into youth leadership. And it's hard to make space um, for them to just experience things without being in leadership. Um, Bart Frost was really, really good at reflecting back to, I think, both of you, certainly back to me as a parent, to say, you know, I, I hear that they're interested in doing this thing as leadership. Is it something that they might just want to do as just participants and be able to be fed? I think is what, what you said, Molly. Um, and I think it's important to, to recognize that it's slightly different for youth of color because one of the ways in which 
harm is mitigated in our UU youth spaces for youth of color is by putting them in leadership because they have more say over what's going to happen in those spaces. And that tends to help mitigate the harm that can happen to them in those spaces. Um, and, and that's problematic. Yeah, then you have this flip side of the coin where there's people going into leadership or forced into leadership who, who don't have the tools to be successful in that role. And then stuff happens and then we lose our youth of color and we lose our, like, you know, our siblings because something happened and now they're out of the faith and, you know, we never really see them again. And it's really sad and it's really traumatic. And it's this cycle that we see keeps repeating itself. And, you know, it's really sad. So I think, I think there's gotta be somewhere where we really examine that trend of, you know, how are we supporting youth once they're in leadership? And particularly, how are we supporting youth of color once they're in leadership and young adults? Um, because often that, that leads to employment and employment is where we often see it go. When it goes wrong, it goes spectacularly wrong. And, and you know, as Miguel says, and we, we lose mentors and we lose um, people who we consider family. I have a question uh, for uh, the youth here. I have a 13 year old and a 17 year old, neither of which are interested in going to anything like Thrive or <laughs> Goldmine because, uh, well, for the, the 17 year old, they didn't really have a great, how do I put this? They're one of the only children of color in their youth group. And, um, and then there were like just some class issues with that as well and some some value issues. And so they're like, why would I want to go be with a bunch of UUs? <laughs> I'll just continue to teach kindergarten and first grade. And I like it that way. And I'm like, you really need to meet more UU of color that are your age. What could you say to them looking back as being someone that your mom was like, you're going? Because I'm at the you're going point. And I, I would like to have something to be like, I talked to these people and they said. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've been there and I like cannot stress enough how much Thrive changed my perspective on Unitarian Universalism and just like the spectacular people that you meet there. Um, I mean, I, I was there, like I didn't want to go. I was like, oh, do I have to go to Bethesda? Like, there goes my weekend, but it was just like so transformative. And I definitely wouldn't be in youth leadership now if it wasn't for that. Um, just the people that I've met through that and then like an extension past that. Like I, I only know Molly because I met Jaden and then it's like a whole, whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's just kind of this powerful moment when you get there and it's like, I mean, we never really seen youth of color like us before all in one space. And you're kind of just like, ah, oh, like, you know, like this is, this is a thing. And, and yeah, you're, you're kind of like, you're kind of used to being like, do I have to like go hang out with like the white congregants again? And they're just going to tokenize me as usual. But then you're sitting there and you all have that shared experience and you're like, wow, like, these people are really cool. Like these, these are going to be my people. And I think you only, you find that through putting yourself through an uncomfortable experience and being like, 
I, I was like, I don't, I don't want to go, but then I got there. Wow. Let the record show that once Mama was right. And we were really young when we went to. It was like, um, I guess it was oh, yeah. the summer before our freshman year, and we got there, and like everybody's older than us, but I mean, it was like, still I felt like so cared for. And I mean, we look older too, so it wasn't like really that big an issue. Yeah, definitely um, Thrive. And the other thing I want to say about Thrive is it's run by um, staff of color, adults of color who I trust. Like, thankfully, Christina and I, probably all the adults on this panel know the folks uh, because part of what also can potentially problemat be problematic is when there's um lay leaders who aren't as um as far along as would be helpful and affirming to youth of color and so when they're in just um spaces con spaces and they don't have that preparation and knowledge i'm trying to be super nice right now uh, a lot of harm can happen so i would say antonia see how well i'm doing it's it's sun's coming out so it's helping um so i would say definitely uh I would actually say start with Thrive. It's it's just a it's a it's an extraordinary space, and I'm grateful to uh, um, Dr. Mon Reverend Dr. Monica Cummings, who uh, I believe it was Monica who started the Multicultural Leadership School, which is now Thrive. Am I correct in saying that? Somebody, I think so, but Monica's not there anymore. I think it's right. The UUA, yeah, but now I it's mean, Thrive. I, I agree with you completely. Knowing that those those mentors will have my back in any space that I'm in was probably, there was another incredible takeaway. Those are people that I know will have me no matter what. And that's one of the most powerful parts of Thrive is that you see people who, they might not have even grown up in the faith, but they're here now and they're ready to mentor you through this process. And it's super powerful to see yourself kind of reflected in, in those people that you look up to. And they're absolutely people that I, I couldn't trust more. Shout out to Sanaa, India, Kimberly, all, all of them. <laughs> and all, and at all. all. Yeah, yeah. you know. I'll shout out to Hope and Janice Marie while we're at it because my own kid who wouldn't do any of this, but I did drag to GA, but just hung out with my friends. Um, but Hope and Janice Marie just took Jai in profoundly. And I, I love what you said about I found my people. I mean, that that's when you stay is when you found your people. And I'm, I'm so glad to, to hear three of you say you found your people. Yay. Yeah. And some, if we're, while we're shouting out some shout outs to the people who created, supported and maintained the drum youth and young adult caucus for all those years before any of these things were institutionalized at the UUA. Um, so, you know, Joseph Santos Lyons and Andrea Williams and, and, uh, <laughs> some folks that many of us know and love uh, who who made that space something that the UUA could create programs around. And Kenny Wiley, one more shout out. Kenny yes. Wiley, who was very strong. And <laughs> I'm going to see Kenny this weekend. Yay. Kenny and uh, Razik and Bart were all people that I, I would trust my children to, you know. Um, and as a parent um, and as a you know, you, you, leader of color myself, it was, it has been invaluable to know who I can trust with my children. 
um, you know, as particularly when things get rough, um, I know who I can look to um, to ensure the safety of my children, um, not just physically, but spiritually. And that's huge. That's a huge thing to, to be able to know. Um, though I wanted to circle back to a question I think Meg asked, um, particularly of you, Andreas, is, um, so what are, you know, national leadership opportunities for youth these days? What, do, what does that look like, um, you know, particularly with your role as um, senior dean of GA Youth? Yeah, um, there are a couple different positions that you can apply for. Um, most of them uh, that I'm like in charge of is around uh, GA Youth, which is the, um, the youth section of General Assembly. Uh, and so there are a couple different things you can do there. You can help with the um, Youth Caucus, which is like the business of the association. Uh, you can be a Thrive. Um, it's called Youth of Color Coordinator um, now, but it was basically Thrive at GA. So uh, making sure that people of, or youth of color specifically are cared for at GA. Um, you can apply for Dean. Um, this application cycle is closed, but next year. Um, you can apply for Dean. Just like, uh, I don't know, I should probably be able to explain it. <laughs> but, yeah, and then you can also be um, worship coordinator, which is pretty self-explanatory, and um, care team as well, which is like uh, the general well-being of the youth at GA. Right on. And, um, Maybe Miguel is the person to answer this. Are, do they still um, involve youth and young adult leaders on the right relationship team at uh, GA2? Is that something to look out for? That, that, that's my role. The youth liaison to that team. Um, and there, there is a, there's actually a lot of young adults, the more I think about it, on that team who just do remarkable work. And it's, it's, it's great to know that, that those people have my back as well. Um, so that's like another another potential role for youth that are interested in leadership roles. Also, uh, we have the safety team. Do we still have that? Mm -hmm. Safety team. I know Molly was on that, and she could probably speak to it better than I can. But there's just opportunities abound. So I have a question. Given that the three of you all have been to GA, and we we're you know coming to the top of the hour, and uh, a lot of folks are starting to think about General Assembly. Um, if there was like, maybe what is your favorite thing at GA? Maybe that's, maybe we'll start with that. What is your absolute favorite thing at GA? Molly, do you want to start with, with that? Or any of you can jump in if you're still thinking, sorry. Um, so my first, I went to my first GA this past year. Um, and I feel like I had a kind of different experience with it because my sister was the the senior dean and I um, just, I saw a lot of more of the leadership side of it. Um, but for me, my favorite part of like every youth event that I've been to is youth worship. And I think that was the evening, the evening worships were just my the, the thing that I think about when I think of GA is the room full of youth um, just sitting and listening and sharing and that space 
is just always so powerful for me. Yeah, I, I would echo that. Just huge shout out to Emma Merchant and Iris. Their worships were absolute fuego. Like I, I can't even imagine another group of worship coordinators like them. Um, personally, my like my my GA story is super full circle because my first GA was in Providence um, a couple of years ago, and now this is my bridging GA, and we're coming back to Providence. And I'm going to school there next year. So it's like a really perfect full circle moment. But that's part of my favorite part of being at GA is being able to interact with the space that you're in. And I remember my first GA, there's this really powerful moment when we had the water fire and they light up the whole river. And I was just, wow, this is incredibly beautiful. My, there's so many, there's so many good moments. Um, I'll pick a favorite moment. So uh, I was, it was after everything had wrapped up for GA. So maybe not technically my favorite GA moment, but it was like um, the winding down for staff um, last year. And we went to the gondolas um, in Spokane. And uh, it was Emma Merchant, Michaela Latimer and I, and one, I swear, I thought I was gonna die. I was very scared. Um, but it was also really beautiful, the times that I didn't think I was going to die. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't die. And I would just like to give a shout out for um, youth in worship. So um, two years ago, we did the first ever fully bilingual uh, Latinx worship service at GA, a group of uh, Latinx UUs. And um, you know, we wanted it to be a collaborative event. And so we intentionally, you know, had youth as part of that group that was developing that um, worship service. And because we were intentional about that, it ended up that really what the youth part of the service became what was in essence the homily of that service. And it was brilliant. I mean, it was just, if you can go back and, and listen to it, Andres and Miguel um, read it and par participated in the creation of it, but the words from it were distilled from conversations that we had with the youth over the, the time of uh, creating this. So it was like over six months um, that I would you know, sit and kind of um, transcribe what they were saying. And that became really the essence of their homily. And, you know, so what would it look like to have a Sunday morning worship that the homily was given by youth? I mean, what would it look like to have a Sunday morning worship that was created by youth and not just a youth worship, right? Because that's what we're trying to do is not just have these specific lenses of, you know, of worship services, but worship services that are collaborative enough that you feel that throughout. So just a little challenge there to the to the <laughs> worship arts team for GA. Um, what would it look like? And while while we're referencing that that worship, um, Miguel and Andreas, I used that worship service on a Sunday morning in the congregation that I serve. It was actually a Sunday morning that I was not going to be there. Um, so I used that worship as the 
as the worship service. And um, there's one woman in my congregation who is Latina, who um, had been part of my overwhelmingly white congregation and went to that service and expressed profound gratitude for actually having seen her people up on the screen. Um, so, you know, there's that too. I just wanted to, to relay that to you. So thank yeah, you. Uh, by far my, my most powerful memory of that service was actually what happened after Andreas and I were walking out of the room and uh, Michaela, who's our friend now, but we didn't really know her back then. She came up to us and, and she was crying and she was just like, there are people like us out here, like who, who speak our language, who have this culture. And, and because of this, like, I know I have a place in this faith. And, and she said that to us and it was so powerful to hear that. Well, we are coming up on the top of our hour. Um, Molly, Andreas, Miguel, is there any last thing that you want to say to make sure that people hear before we sign off? Not really. Um, <laughs> oh, no, to talk to your youth. <laughs> nice. Ask them what they're passionate about. I heard Molly say that. Molly, what do you got? Yeah, don't be scared of us. And we'll try not to be scared of you all and connect with us. Thank you all for getting out of school and yeah. coming to us before school. <laughs> we appreciate it. Um, next week, we have uh, Dr. Elias uh, Ortega Aponte. Aponte Ortega, I, can, I forget which one, which order it goes. And um, he is the new head of uh, Meadville Theological School. So we are really, really excited to hear what he has to say about all things Meadville next week. That's it, bye from The View, bye everyone. <laughs> I wanna trash talk Antonio, what's happening? like to learn more about the CLF, visit questformeaning.org.